I'm the host and sometimes referee, the friendly neighborhood, Zach Stat Pearson, and today I'm joined by he who has completed all the difficulties that ever lived inside Devil May Cry, a one Dante must die. Dante, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? Everyone, like Zach said, my name is Dante Must Die. You can find me on Twitch, Twitter, and uh, occasionally I post a YouTube video. I stream three days a week and you know, I play what I like. I'm also a writer and... I love movies. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much all I can think about right now. Oh, but just a quick disclaimer. I have never beaten Dante Must Die difficulty on Devil May Cry. And that's, <laughs> that's kind of like the whole uh, point of my Twitter name or my Twitch name. Because it was like one of those, it was a challenge I was going to do. And then I just never did it. <laughs> I can teach you the ways. Just not right now. Oh. All right, so first and foremost, let me get into what we're going to be talking about. Number one is going to be our disclaimer. I'll obviously explain that shortly. Number two is combat style. Number three, protagonist development. Number four, replayability. Number five, cinematography. Number six, abilities and functions. Seven, writing. And finally, artistic aesthetic. Now, I just want to point out, yes, I have beaten all the Devil May Cries. Yes, I have beaten all the Bayonettas. In fact, the only Devil May Cry game I'm aware that I have not beaten is that gambling gotcha money game that they created that exists solely in Japan. What is it, Pinnacle of Combat? Uh, no, Isn't that's the mobile game that came out in okay, Korea. Okay. Uh, it's called uh, Last Judgment, I think. Double okay. May Cry Last Judgment. But yeah, you know, thanks for bringing that up. There's still a decent chunk of people who don't know about it. Now, for those of you wondering if this is going to be basically, you know, a dialogue, why do I need a second person here if it's just going to be a long speech? Well, for one thing, I want to have a real-time validation slash real-time check on if I'm leaning towards any form of biases. I'm not out here trying to catch flames and catch hate. I know it's going to come regardless. It would come if I said the opposite. But also, I'm a small channel, so people may not even care. Which means I'm in a unique position to where I can get away with giving an unbiased amount of information and facts and occasional opinions on both of these franchises. With that being said, yes, I do not have a personal favorite. I have a personal favorite title, but I do not favor one franchise over the other. They have the same damn daddy, okay? They have the same <laughs> daddy. They've used about, I believe, 20 to 30% of the same staff members too. Look, as far as I'm concerned, it's all love. Okay. Right. Right. But you know, the internet's going to be the internet. Yeah. Who you tell? <laughs> so with that disclaimer out of that, out of the way, let's move directly into combat style. Now, specifically, just so we're clear, I will be including the entire franchise, not individual titles. However, if there is a function or feature that is in an individual title, I will mention what's franchise and title it's from. So yeah, first up on that list, the evasive ability. In the realm of Devil May Cry, initially turning off collision detection being a jump in the beginning of it, or a dot, or a roll, or a backflip, again, in the beginning of these animations, was the traditional way of, you know, evading an attack. That was, I believe, circa 1999, when Devil May Cry 1 first came out, or 2000. And feel free to, you know, chronologically look up when Devil May Cry's came out because they've done a bunch of re-releases. I don't even remember what the original date uh, years are for the original versions anymore. Um, but that was practically it. However, once you got to 2, which many people do not like Devil May Cry 2, they began experimenting. 
And despite, you know, the dysfunctional and malfunctioning development of Devil May Cry 2, it was very easy to see that your evasive abilities were a lot better. You could run up walls and then jump off them. You could run on a wall sideways. And I believe there was also a small dash you could do that let you temporarily turn off collision detection. However, this is Devil May Cry 2. That might legitimately have been some form of a glitch. <laughs> I was about to say, that all of that is in Devil May Cry 2? I've yes. never played it. I, I, I've dreaded playing that game. Let me tell you why. Because everyone and their mom is going to tell you the exact same thing. The game is terrible. I've seen gameplay. <laughs> so I've know. seen gameplay. Oh, I know. Uh, any any video game that has an underwater level, I try to stay away from. <laughs> You're not the first person I heard say that. Um, so when you move on to Devil May Cry 3, circa 2003 or 2004, I believe, what first ends up happening is you get a style system or you get a mode change function. Let's call it what it is. It's a mode change function. Style is just shorter right. to say, but in actuality, it's just a mode change function. Based on directions, uh, well, no, oh, depend on which version you play. But essentially how it works is Dante gets six styles over the course of the game. Swordmaster, Royal Guard, Trickster, Gunslinger, Doppelganger, um, Quicksilver. He, oh, seven Refresh styles. my memory. Refresh my memory. What does Quicksilver do? I know it slows down time and you can't use double trigger. Oh, and if you try to use double trigger, the, the gauge speeds up. Right. Gotcha. Because it was because of the horse, the chariot boss. That you yes. If I remember correctly. Yes. Okay. I'm, yes. Ca I'm caught up. <laughs> um, and when you get to this game, you do have enhanced dodging functions, which have become more of a staple for the franchise. You get a dash that you can do multiple times on the ground and an air dash you can do multiple times in the air. And yes, both of them temporarily cut off your your collision detection depending on when they're activated versus when a move is hitting you. Uh, later on in the game, through certain weapons and unlockables, you also get a double jump as well, and you get the ability to slowly glide and in one case with one particular weapon, fly. But to have your full access of functions, you specifically need to have the trickster style on. But up until 2020, when they re-re-re-released Devil May Cry 3, Special Edition, or no, Switch Edition on Nintendo Switch, you did not have the ability to both style switch and weapon switch in real time freely. Right. You had to have two choice of physical weapons and two choice of firearms, and you had one style. Right. Most I of this is this. not due to balance so much as the limitations of the PS2. Right. I remember this. And I think it's still the same in like the special edition. Yep. They only changed it for the Switch version. In the case of the PC, what they did was PC modders gave themselves the ability to do it like the same year the game came out on the PC. Well, I guess I'm going to pick up the Switch version. <laughs> well, yeah, I will because that's the only version where you have real time, you know, weapon switch and also style switch. Because even the um, PC version, when they first made it, it didn't have full weapon switch. It had traditional select two weapons select two uh guns select two swords and then free and free switch on your um styles but no the switch version has free pick on everything it's crazy the level of technicality alone is insane right and of course this followed through to four with most of the playable characters in every version of 4, with the exception of the two, two newest ones to Devil May Cry 4, which had a special edition re-release almost a full, like, 10 years later, I think. 
or no, uh, like seven years later, uh, were Trish, a character named Trish and a character named Lady. Here's a weird fact that bugs me to no end. Why the fuck is Trish only playable in even-numbered Devil May Cry games? No one caught that but me? <laughs> I, I did not catch that. <laughs> Bro, Devil May Cry 2, beat hard mode, you unlock Trish. Devil May Cry 3, she ain't even born yet, or at least we don't know if she's born. Um, right. Devil May Cry 4, special edition, boom, there's Trish. Devil May Cry 5, nothing. Devil May Cry, nothing. Uh, Devil May Cry 6, maybe. Now, as you mentioned, I'm still waiting on my Ladies' Night DLC, Capcom. Oh, yeah, that shit that got canceled <laughs> that didn't even need to be fucking canceled. Yeah, I remember that. Basically, what I think is going on, and again, I can't confirm this. I'm not trying to say this is accurate. This is this part is an opinion. Um, Most of the people I know who will openly snitch about Capcom, they don't even necessarily hate Capcom. They don't give a shit because they're too old to even really care, and they don't have much of an internet presence. However... Me having somebody who can translate Japanese and talking directly to them in real time is a rarity. In fact, this year alone, I've only been able to do it two times. And even then, I really just want to talk about, you know, things that happen during development, not future shit. Because sometimes they don't even know when the next game's coming until they, they get told, hey, you're going to be working on this game again. I was like, oh, okay, well, fuck it. Let me ask you about old stuff. Um, But that's another matter completely. Essentially, though, I do want her... To be playable, and I think the reason we didn't get the Ladies' Night DLC is simply because six got approved and greenlit and went into production faster than expected. So six is going to come out and be produced or designed by someone who isn't, you know, Hideki Itsuno because he's currently doing Dragon's Dogma. But at the same time, he might have some supervisorial role. But again, that's an opinion. None of that is confirmed fact. I'm not even going to pretend it is. Now, um, there's been a total of about four or five playable characters, depending on how you look at it, through the Devil May Cry franchise. Dante being the star and protagonist, despite what some people want to believe, is in every title. Nero is only in two. Trish, like I said, is only in the even number titles. And Lady, formerly Mary, is only playable in one. Also, just so we're clear, I'm not including the mobile games in here. Because Bayonetta does not have a corresponding and counteracting mobile game. The closest Bayonetta has to mobile is her railgun game that came out that no one even remembers or knows how to find. It was only for mobiles and it was only, I think, like four or five stages. And it basically stopped existing, I believe, the same year they even announced it. Mm. Like, it was nothing special. It was just a light gun game where you had Bayonetta on screen. I didn't even know. I know. I didn't know anything about it. Exactly. <laughs> that was I don't even remember the name of it. Um, so the mobiles are being left out. However, Dante is the through point. And since he is the main protagonist of the, and also lead face of the franchise, at least until somebody decides to try to fucking do some bullshit with Nero again, which kind of get annoying at this point. But then again, I've never stated I had any respect for Nero. (laughs) <laughs> These characters inherently do not play the same, which is a good a good move to make. All right, back on things. Nero in particular has a grab mechanic that acts as, well, a feature that doesn't exist in Devil May Cry as a franchise without him. He gains the ability to grab, at least in four. Now, this has led to people being divided on whether or not an automated cutscene-like move where you essentially get free damage with no retaliation should be allowed or not or at least allowed only on one character 
but it was his main hallmark. Nero was Dante who could grab, and also he wasn't as you know, skilled with a blade. Moving into Special Edition 4, Trish was unique as well. Her combat style featured different button presses were allocated to different weapons. She had the gun button, she had the sword button, and then she had her, you know, uh, physical attacks that she could introduce when the sword was no longer in her hands, which is, you know, what something Dante could do back in Devil May Cry 1. So it was a nice reference that people didn't catch, but I did. And she also has um, the secondary fight button that usually involves like her more electrical moves. So essentially, when you're fighting as Trish, you have a choice between focusing on her electrical elements and physical combat relating to that or, you know, fighting with Sparta's sword. But again, everything's mapped to different buttons. Uh, My lady was guns. Like, obviously, she was nothing but guns and missiles occasionally. It's kind of disappointing. I, I, I you know, I, I get it. That's her whole thing. But I feel like they could have made Missed her a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I feel like they could have made her a little bit more interesting to play in the game. Oh, and I, and I can tell you exactly why. It's because of this cut scene in Devil May Cry 3 that defies all logic and also her boss fight. She had a grappling hook uh, that she would use to get around, not just pull enemies to her. And then she also, you know, was literally an, a, a gymnast. She was taking gym. She was a gymnastic, a gymnast, if memory serves, according to the lore. And when she was back in high school, all bullshit aside, I mean it when I say point blank. Um, these characters are uniquely different. And that's one point already in Devil May Cry's corner and i'm gonna tell you why we spend so much time talking about the combat style and devil may cry especially when it comes to evasion and everything else over bayonetta bayonetta essentially has only had one unique playable character until they got to two yes i acknowledge there was some weird little monster thing that was playable in one and also jean but jean almost essentially acted like a palette swap her only big difference being that it was harder for her to activate her evasion counter, one of the most basic features in the game. And their reasoning behind it was because her finishing attacks, anything that has her summoning a demon, does more damage than Bayonetta's does. But her combat is not different. It is not distinct like all of those characters are. Now let's move into Bayonetta 2, which came out some five, six years later. Easily my favorite of the series. Everybody's so far. favorite. Well, so far, I mean, we got to get to free. Let's see what free is like. They immediately <laughs> had to cut the second playable character because they they got into a time constraint issue. So he ended up being in a mini game only mode along with Rodan, the other playable character, and of course John returning, Bayonetta returning, and Bayonetta's mother, whose gameplay is essentially default Bayonetta one gameplay. The only difference being she's capable of getting into a giant robot mech. Now. I know what you're thinking. Well, these numbers are kind of even. Why does Devil May Cry get the dub when it comes to combat style as well as evasive maneuvers and everything else? Let me tell you why. Because as fun as a mechanic as I press one button, no style switch needed, and the game slows down and I can get some free shots on my enemy, and if you're paying attention, their weight and physics change. It's allowing you to do combos on bigger enemies you normally can only do to small enemies. Yeah, yeah. You didn't, you didn't think about it, but I bet you're going to try that shit later. Um... As well as being able to find accessories that allow you to manually control slowing down time. Whereas in Devil May Cry, you're lucky if you found one weapon, one item that did it in Devil May Cry 1, one of the hardest items to get. And it being a feature that disappears after 3. Bayonetta John, same combat. Rosa, Bayonetta's mother. Devil May, uh, Devil May Cry, Bayonetta 1, base default combat, but with harder 
hitting attacks. So that's three characters right there that barely have a differentiation. At this point, we've entered Shoto clone ter territory. <laughs> or what girls hate when, you know, multiple people show up at a party wearing the exact same thing. So that's three characters right there with slight differentiations. And the original second protagonist before he got cut, uh, Rodan, a.k.a. Bayonetta's father. Also, I'm not putting a spoiler on this thing because if you're watching this video, it's an automatic foregone conclusion because you can see in the disclaimer and everything we're going to talk about, if you don't know any of this stuff, it's an automatic spoiler. I don't even know why I said that just now. Anyways, however, those characters are limited specifically to only one mode with the exception of the three that act the most alike, Bayonetta, Jean, and Rosa. Devil May Cry, every single playable character has their own story mode or they can go through the game in its regular format. Devil May Cry uh, 1, Dante and his father, you can play the game, you can play him as a palace swap. Uh, and that's why I say he's a half character because he's not really a differentiation, he's, he's really just a skin swap. Yeah. Devil May Cry yeah. 2, well, you got Lucina, or Lucia, <laughs> and um, you got Dante. They can go through their own stories and they can go through the side content. Devil May Cry 3, you just got Dante, then later on Special Edition, you got Virgil. Guess what? You can go play Dante Story Mode while you're playing fucking Virgil. And you start off with all the weapons. Devil May Cry 4. They get to Special Edition. They do the same thing. These characters can go through the Story Mode. And they actually do show up in some cutscenes. Not all. They don't do a bunch of alterations. The story doesn't really change. Um... But you get to go and you can fight the bosses. You can hit all the beats. You can even find and increase, you know, blue orbs and whatnot, which will increase everybody's health bars and all this stuff, right? It's a shared system. That's how they did four. Special edition, again, same thing. The only difference is with Virgil, he doesn't split off into anybody. He just goes through all the stages by himself, one-to-one, back-to-back. Now, compare that to Bayonetta. So all these kids get to go to the playground and have fun. They get to chill and get ice cream from the ice cream truck, man. And then, oh, here are all these rich kids who think they're too good to go and play with them. But no, no, you can only play indoors with a select group of people in this one setting, in this one section. I think I know which one I'd rather be in. Right. So that's why they edge out the win. Now, when it comes to, <clears throat> well, how to put this? When it comes to the weaponry in relation to combat style, then that's when we have a clear and decisive winner, and it's a very short one. Bayonetta wins by a fucking landslide. Number one, Dante has a built-in determining factor on how much combat he has access to based on his style change in every game. Yes, it did become unlocked over time, but you still have to go into a different mode. Also, Dante's weaponry is very, very deprived of creativity. It's almost dysfunctional and depressing. His most recent two games, Special Edition and Five, Dante uses a sword. Dante uses some deviation of a sword that does something slightly different or is completely different sword style than the one he has as a default. And then he gets a hand-to-hand -hand weapon that is either attached to his feet or his hands or both. Motherfucker, that's it. Wait, in Five? No, Four. Okay, okay. Now, let's get to his guns. He gets a gun and has different transformation modes 
but you can't main, but you can't instantly go into those transformation modes. And its strongest attack, it can't even access without going into a mode change again. And on top of it, it has its own fucking meter. Dante has a lot more meters than he really should have had in Devil May Cry 4. Even I acknowledge that. Now let's move to Bayonetta. Obviously, you got the handguns on your hands and feet. That's already a unique setup in general for an action game or a hack and slash action game. Yeah, I said action and hack and slash action. No fucking character action because that doesn't exist. <laughs> Bro, you have no idea how many people get mad at me when they say, don't you mean character action? I'm not talking like in comments, barely anyone ever comments. I'm talking about like real life. I'm like, no, I don't. Sorry, what the what the fuck is a character action game? Thank you. Okay, so what I'm not going to blame every single one of them, but they're the ones who made it popular and they go out of their way to try to justify it. Uh, Cynical Brit, Fox Cade, these are real YouTubers, and... I believe the gaming Brit. That's that's the last one's name. Um, so you heard of that one. I've heard yeah. of that last guy. These guys, and I think Codex, in, Codex entry to a later date. These guys have made multiple Devil May Cry videos and they're long format. In fact, if you set the, the duration to over 20 minutes, chances are two or three of them going to show up, right? Especially if it's not gameplay, it's actual retro retrospective and, you know, analytical shit. Yeah, they started making it popular. Then they started trying to justify it by saying, well, it didn't really have a name in the beginning or some similar statement. I'm paraphrasing. But the problem is, it always had a name. It's a named and confirmed genre, which is a rarity in the gaming world where people make up shit and people just believe that it's a true factual statement. And then it becomes into existence that way normally. It's kind of fucked up. Looter shooter is not a damn genre. Looter shooter is a word that somebody came up with because they thought it sounded cool when they were describing Borderlands. No, no. It's a first-person shooter. And some people don't even like the idea of calling first-person shooters first-person, calling them action shooters in a first-person perspective. But what is the popular contraction of that? FPS, first-person shooter. Nothing about that is unique, original, or identifiably came specifically from Borderlands. Every beat-em-up I've ever played, like... Every fifth or eighth person you beat up, they drop an item. There's loot. So why don't right. they call an action game a looter beater or a beater looter? Like, no, just just acknowledge that you did something cool, but you don't need to try to make it unnecessarily complex or just sound dumb. Character action does, in fact, sound dumb. Saying the word character action doesn't make you dumb, but character action as a title is dumb and it's grammatically illogical and dishonest. Yeah, I'm, I'm just, it just doesn't. You know, this is just me. Oh, it's not just a, you. A, a simple standpoint, but it just doesn't even sound right. Yes, it doesn't because even here's sound the thing. Think about that statement. If you say character, that means that that's the genre, or it's the subgenre. So the subgenre or the genre is character. That's not how video games work. And then the next word after it is action. Okay, you can work with that a little bit more because it's more nebulous. But so is action as a whole. You can make action right. the. Uh, the genre or the subgenre, but when you throw character in there, that's when you fuck shit up. But I've come to terms with they don't even care anymore. They even acknowledge in the comment people don't want them to say it. I'm just like, well, bro, they don't want you to say it because they're being petty assholes. They don't want you to say it because you're making wrong terminology popular. And when you say the wrong thing and make it popular and people don't know it's wrong, you can spread it. But I digress. Here's why Bayonetta wins in the co in combat style in relation to weaponry. 
So if we're counting correctly, let's just point it. DMC got one. In fact, I'm going to keep telling myself. DMC one point. Bayo one point. Bayonetta gets their one point because of the weapon variety. On the base default character, unlockable weapons, secret and hidden weapons, but just how the combat style works in general for the weapon. Dante has that basic pot I mentioned, right? And then when you get to five, that's when it really, that's when it actually hit me. After you beat the game, you get something called full custom or full auto custom, something like that, where Dante essentially has on all of his weapons simultaneously. I only used it two times ever my whole entire playthrough of Devil May Cry 5, period. And I'm going to tell you why. Because You're, it takes too long to get to the things I want. Say Devil May Cry 5? Yes. Okay, yeah. It takes long to get to the things I want. Because they kept the weapons on the rotation system. So what you think is easier? Getting to three weapons and rotating to them? Or trying to rotate um, through five or six different weapons simultaneously? In the middle of combat. Right, in the middle of combat. Yeah, I got you. And with the guns, they did that shit too. And there's only one like really secret hidden weapon, literally, of all the playable characters, there's only one <laughs> legitimately hidden and secret weapon. And yeah. it's so dumb. It's so dumb. I don't know if it's in the good way or the bad way, which is a weird thing to say. But <laughs> Bayonetta, you can go to the menu screen. You can switch what's on your hands and your feet with most of the weapons, barring few exceptions. Usually two-handed two -handed weapons don't end up on her feet. But if you play the game the normal way and you get the weapons that you're designated to get in story playthrough, you're going to come out with, on average, five weapons right there. Right. And that's the beginning. Now, when you start going into higher difficulties getting things unlocked, you start expanding that and usually it caps off at around eight. In particular, two stars of this system, Rodan. Yes, he's a character, but there's also a weapon named after him. In both games, some people still don't even know that he's a, you can get a weapon from him. And Devil May Cry, wow. Bayonetta 1 and 2, <laughs> if you beat I Rodan, like who is considered the last or strongest boss, you get a weapon named after him that allows you to manipulate and pull out all angel weapons and fight with those angel weapons, right? It allows you to do that. Same in Bayonetta 2. However, it incorporates the demon weapons. So it's an angel and demon weapon generator and you switch to them in real time based on what button you press or where you are in your combo. Ain't nothing like that in fucking Double May Cry. Nothing remotely. You get a nunchuck that can shoot bullets that ricochet. So you could oh beat one person's ass and also beat the guy behind him and around the corner. What'd you say? I was just saying I love that weapon. Yes. And I've I been saying it. on their social media since Bayonetta 2 was confirmed, please bring back Siphong. You don't have to even make it part of the story. It technically wasn't. Just make it a DLC. There's nothing wrong with having DLC of old weapons or an older version of the character with all the weapons. I would love that. No DLC. And there still to this day is nothing like it. Now let's move on to the other characters in Devil May Cry. We're in five now. We're still going to incorporate four from time to time, but we're going by the characters. Nero basically doesn't get his grab ability back literally until you beat the fucking story mode. And once you get it, 
You have to choose between are you going to use that or are you going to primarily just focus on your, well, essentially pay-per-view weaponry. Man, is that shit dumb. So for the uninitiated, um, Devil May Cry 5 pretty much had microtransactions forced in it from up top. And I don't mean Hideki Itsuno, I mean his bosses. On paper, the lie, and that's exactly what I'm going to call it. So you can call this part opinion if you want to. The lie that was stated was that, oh, he removed items because he wanted the gameplay to flow more freely in real time. Oh, you mean like Bayonetta does with items mapped to the fucking D-pad? Mm-hmm. No, there is no reason, absolutely no reason that I should be able to take like two or three hundred dollars and just let myself die in any boss fight or any room where there's enemies and then just use the move that takes 70% of the in, of the um, health off an enemy with red orbs at a game over screen. That is some of the most ignorant shit I've come across in gaming in a long time. And I know, and, it, and I mean ignorant. This is lacking knowledge or being basically allergic to intelligence. This is not the kind of game where something like that should exist if there's going to be microtransactions. If they did what, now don't get me wrong, this, this has been in the franchise for a long time. The ability to revive or do holy water attacks where it basically kills everything and does massive damage to an enemy. That's why holy water is such a holy water is such a rare and hard to find item. And it's also one of the most expensive in the game. Because it's meant to basically help you in an emergency situation when you're fucking tired of dying. Right? So let me ask you. Why the fuck does holy water really only trigger after you've spent an insane amount of money continuously or you invested an insane amount of microtransaction, um, uh, insane amount of red orbs, the game's currency, which you can also buy, which makes it a microtransaction? It's because corporate wanted it that way. Nero, on the other hand, is a very unique situation. I don't know how much of this is corporate or how much of this is not paying attention. Nero's primary weapon before you beat the game is his big sword and his devil, quote unquote, breakers, where he gets arms that switch out kind of like Mega Man Legends or Mega Man Volnut, the Mega, the only Mega Man with a last name. And the arms can break in between attacks if someone hits you. And if you use their strongest move, they automatically deteriorate. This you does not turn that. off at any point in time in the game. Yeah, you can also detonate them yourself if you want to. And then if you choose to disarm yourself, no pun intended, instead of putting it back on his little rack, he just, it just breaks somehow with no explanation. It's because they want you to pay microtransaction money. However, they front loaded this shit into Nero. And I'm glad they did because I like having reasons to not like Nero. Literally one of the only things I like about Nero is his voice. Anyways, now... Nero's basic weapons have not changed when you get to five. Like I stated, he gains a devil trigger, which every character pretty much has except for him and uh, Lady. Now he has one, so now it's just Lady. And that does not show up when you first play the game, literally until the final fight. So your ability to grab what you had starting, or rather you got in the early beginning of Devil May Cry 4, is now gone for 90% of your first playthrough. It's just gone. 
I will give credit, not points, but credit on Virgil, a.k.a. V, the teenage Virgil in the game, because he has summons. They have never introduced playable summons in the entirety of the franchise's history. I give them credit for that. But he only got three, and one of them is essentially on a double trigger gauge. So really, you're primarily fighting, unless you're in super mode, with two of these creatures. They have their own HP bars, too. What'd you say? I said V is a very different character than the rest of the Devil May Cry cast. Yeah, definitely. if you played Chaos Legion, you saw you pretty much know the, ah, the punch. I did. I did so play Chaos know. Legion. That, that's a deep cut, I think. And then also Astro Chain is basically Chaos Legion 2.0. But anyways, um, so but I, I give I'm, them that. I, I did want to stop you real quick and just ask you one question. What? You're saying uh, Nero, uh, his, play, play, his gameplay for Devil May Cry 5. What about it? Uh, his Devil Breakers. I feel as though his Devil Breakers uh, kind of brought more versatility to his toolbox versus Devil May Cry 4. No, I, no, I totally agree. The problem is, is that they're Devil Breakers and they right. break. So it's temporary. That's my problem with it. Well, you're, I, I feel, you're calling them... But, you know, you're calling the the system behind the Devil Breakers microtransactions. Well, let me ask uh, you something. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. When you play a video game, especially an action game, when you get a weapon, much like, you know, the old ones, you know, the weapon is temporary. They want you to focus on your main combat style. Yes, they'll give you certain boons and boost or attack damage increases, but, you know, they're temporary. Whether it's a sword or a pipe or it's a gun. From Streets of Rage all the way down to the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles in the sewers in New York. You know that secondary weapon, if it's even there, is temporary. You know that breakable item in the stage is temporary. Yep, yep, yep. And at what point in time does it not look like microtransaction bullshit when you have to buy that accessory that goes into your combat list and then it not be bullshit that it breaks depending on when you get hit during a charge move or it breaks just when you want to switch it and you can't switch it out like a normal, like a normal item. What is stopping him from taking the arm off, putting on another one instead of it breaking nothing but Capcom corporate. That was a game design choice that was deliberately made maliciously. Tell me I'm wrong. Uh, I'm trying to just recall my time playing Devil May Cry 5. And just so I just so I'm clear, you're saying microtransactions as to where I had to spend real money in order to buy more Devil Breakers? Yeah, and the fact that that was even an option is fucking disgusting. Also, Dante, uh, as you know, yeah. he has the hat that is literally oh, yeah. <laughs> Like, press press shoot to win. What does it do? It eats up your red orbs every time you use it, with the exception of two attacks. No, one attack. One attack. When you put the hat on enemies. The strongest attack, if you hold down one button, literally can take close to, if not, a fourth or half of an HP bar on every single boss in game. Oh, yeah. But it costs a lot of down, money. Just brings down the meteor. And what? And so that means that what happens when you run out of orbs? 
are you going to sit there and replenish all that shit all over again? Or do they want to encourage you going and get buying more red orbs? Let me tell you something right now. They can say, well, these are all optional. Yes. But who gave us the option? Should the option right. be there? Right. I'm not, I, saying I, Dante, I, I'm not even saying Nero shouldn't have those double breakers. I'm saying the format they did was inherently predatory. And I am I I fully believed it was forced on the production staff. Okay. I hear what you're saying. I I, I just want to add the fact that m- during my multiple playthroughs of Devil May Cry 5, I never felt the need to spend money on Devil Breakers. Yes, and, but you got to understand, we're not everybody. And, I, and I'm hmm. not trying to put us in some elitist, holier-than-thou, bullshit, nerd, petty category. That means nothing in real life. I mean... We are died in the wool gamers. You got to look at this like this may be some first timers. Or you got to look at this like someone who's never played the games off of easy. They may see being able to buy this shit as a way of, well, boosting their own self-esteem or ego and being higher difficulties because they've never got to experience the super character, the super characters. Oh, wait, you can buy those now, too. That is true. You can buy those characters. And that. they're like four dollars. <laughs> yeah. No, five, I think, actually. The, the most dangerous state the characters can be in and the most powerful for a game, the thing that's supposed to be your ultimate award for winning in the Devil May Cry franchise is now $4 from the time you buy it. That didn't bother you? Uh, I could... Honestly, me personally, no. It doesn't bother me. You know, because, you know... I don't have to pay for it. I, I don't need that to play in order to play. But I, as you were saying, I'm not everybody. You know, we're dying wool gamers, you know. Yeah. So. And it generally yeah. bothers me that I'm being disrespected like this because it's not about bragging rights. It's about how does this look as a, a someone selling a product? Oh, hey, here's my car. But you know what? I'm going to let you get all the gas you want unlimited for free if you give me a little bit of extra money. And then there's these other guys that you sell the car to and you're just like, eh, tell you what, you go earn that shit. Mm. Now we create a situation, and this has happened to me in real life, where someone found out that I didn't pay for the super character. And it's like, why did you waste your time, man? Just pay for the super characters. It's like, <laughs> the super characters are one of the only true reasons to actually extend the gameplay of these games. Because to them, gameplay extension is a higher difficulty. They're completely forgetting that there are people who don't play these games at the at the hellish difficulty higher levels. I was like, well, yeah, but these super characters can also help you get through them. I get that. But here's what I'm telling you. If I came to earn that ability, because once I get it, there's very little for me to do. What's to stop me from taking that super mode and going in earlier difficulties and blowing through with no challenge and barely even being entertained. Oh, well, I guess nothing. nothing. You're right. You're, yeah, you're right. You're but right. here's the nothing. thing. If I know I bought a video game to get enjoyment out of it, and I know that they're trying to sell me something that will ruin the enjoyment, I think, I sincerely think that that's predatory on some level. Also, I think the only time I've ever bought a super character was when I found out my Devil May Cry 4, 5 PlayStation 4 save file doesn't transfer over. That's some bullshit. 
or either I only got the super characters on the PS4 version and I got the super character Virgil on the PS5 version and I left it at that because I'm I'm really not trying to play Nero if I don't have to and you kind of fucking have to at some point. Right. If it's, you, un, it's unavoidable. Yeah, <laughs> if you want to get all the supers back. And I'm just like, the fact that they even did that is, that's predatory itself. And, you know, again, I promise you, these don't even remotely feel like decisions that were made on the producer level. These feel like Capcom corporate said, nah, 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 Devil May Cry been getting away without nickel and diamond for far too long. We didn't even have no DLC in the, all the games. Nah, we gonna fix that shit today. But they went about it the worst possible way through the worst common denominator. Gambling addicts, they're not out here looking at Devil May Cry. They're looking at mobile titles. They're looking at Genshin Impact. Yeah, I said it. No, don't, don't even get me started on that game. <laughs> oh, we won't. But you see my point. Yeah, yeah. I just I see your point. Now, to get back on it, because, well, the rest of this is going to be pretty short. Um, yeah. Because there are more playable characters, but because also... Uh, Having more playable characters that are unique and different does lean in Devil May Cry's favor. However, Bayonetta's weaponry is insane and it's very creative and it's never stale. And if it is stale, you can take the weapons off and never use them again. Also, you know, uh, let's not forget Bayonetta's best evasion technique is not limited to a style change. If you're new to the game or to the franchise, I've seen it. Some new people, they will think they're about to dodge, not realizing they're in Gunslinger, Royal Guard, or Swordmaster, or something else, and just straight up die. Yeah, I don't have that problem I, with Bayonetta. Rodan gets a me. barrier that sh nullifies damage. He gets a barrier that does automatic knockback when they hit it and nullifies damage. Um, What's his name? Boulder pretty much has the same thing as Bayonetta. He slows down time temporarily. Um... John, Rosa, all of them, they slow down time temporarily. And you can even modify it to where you can do it manually controlled or you can make a giant explosive bomb that does a knockback come out of him. Devil May Cry, dodge, dodge. Nero, dodge. But then you get the Trish and Lady, they forgot to give them a dodge mechanic. No, you didn't forget. You just didn't want to care. So, um, they both get a point in combat style, but for different reasons. Protagonist development. Uh, uh, Devil May Cry. So I'm gonna yeah. make that two right now. Yeah. Now a lot well, of people was... like to say, "Well, Nero grew up." No, he really fucking didn't. Nero is still the same character. The only difference is once he found out he no longer had to be thought of as an orphan, he didn't want to see somebody who he didn't learn to love die. That's it. And that only happens for the final hour of gameplay in Devil May Cry Five. Recap real quick. Devil May Cry 4 first came out in 2008. And immediately, one of the first things people hated about him was that this is basically a teenage Dante all over again. His personality is practically not even different. And I agree with that statement. Now, you get to 5, which happens chronologically for us 11 years later? 10 years later? No. Nero's no personality yeah. is practically the exact same shit. Yeah, the which same. is Dante and Devil May Cry Three. The only difference is the empathy and compassion is already visibly there. He didn't have to earn it like Dante did, or rather, come to terms with that part of you still being there like Dante did. 
Trish, we have no character development. Lady, we have extreme character development and then none. But it makes sense because she hasn't been featured that much, so there hasn't been more opportunities. Lucina, absolutely none. She I just stopped being suicidal near the end of the game after she found out she may not be what she thought she was. That's literally it. So that leaves Dante, the guy who's got the longest through, through point with his franchise next to his brother. Okay. Dante was a playful, cheery kid until that fateful day where life got fucked up for him and, well, demons tried to kill him because they found out Sparta was dead. Assumedly, he died from old age because ain't nobody, wasn't nobody kicking Sparta's ass. Now, moving from that, Dante becomes a mercenary and he's one of the best that there's ever been and he still has a playful and happy and optimistic side when he's around children. He really doesn't come to experiencing high emotional uh, uh, emotional situations until Devil May Cry 1 and the prequel to Devil May Cry 1, the novel. In which case, it still wasn't that high of a situation. So essentially, he just got angry in Devil May Cry 1, but his personality was still pretty concrete. Devil May Cry 2, his personality practically wasn't there. He was stoic and he was stone cold. He was more like Virgil than Virgil. It wasn't a bad change, but it was different. And it was a little bit unique. Because it was like a balance of Virgil and Dante as a personality. Virgil, dude was basically enslaved and tortured and psychologically damaged and traumatized um, from a young age, much like Dante was. However, he became more cruel and he gained a power obsession. And he used power essentially to fill the void of loneliness he had. Of course, they never say these exact words, but that's essentially what happened. But that's what led to him fucking up. He tried to take on Mundus of all things, which still makes no sense. How does Virgil know what Mundus looks like if Mundus is just eyeballs in the sky? Also, why the fuck would you think you could do it just because your dad could do it when you could barely even fucking get any power outside of a double trigger? But he tried it, he failed, and he got corrupted, and he became basically a, a living zombie or a knight in a hell knight, essentially. That's so, when we get uh, Nero, Nero Angelo. Nero. Yeah, Angelo, there you go. Yeah, that's when we get Nero Angelo, but because of translation, a lot of people in North America think his name is Nello Angelo, but no, it was actually Nero Angelo, which actually would fit better with Nero, but, you know, too late for that. Hindsight 2020, all that jazz. And then, through raking up from getting a lost memory, he starts to develop some of his own personality back. And by the end of Devil May Cry 1, he wants to kill his brother out of revenge, not for Mundus, at least that I'm aware of. However, there's a, I'd say it's a plot hole at this point, or really it's just an unexplained issue. I, I guess that's a better way to phrase it. Once Nilo Angelo realizes he's Virgil and gets his memory back, whether fully or partially, why didn't he just team up with his brother and try to kill Mundus? Or was he just obsessed with trying to get more power still? So he said, you know what? Let me still try to take the other piece of the amulet and try to get the Sparta sword and go kill Mundus and fail this time because he didn't think he would say anything. But there's no speech the last time you fight uh, Virgil. There's no speech. We don't know what's going on at that point. Now, moving on with those two, you get to Devil May Cry 3, the real crucial of the situation. Just so we're clear for those new people, 
the chronological order of these games and the story timeline are different. Three is the prequel. It comes before everything in the timeline, but it's the third game. Dante is a, he's essentially a slut who wants to do nothing but eat shit, sleep, fuck, and fight. And when he's not doing one of those, he's bored or playing his guitar. He has no true, he truly doesn't care about anything besides his own enjoyment. He let himself get stabbed when he didn't have to just for the sake of fun or either just because he didn't give a shit in the beginning of Devil May Cry 3. That's not something someone who cares about their own well-being does. Now, he finds out his brother's alive and he just really wants to go meet him to kill him and he doesn't even give a shit that his brother essentially just created a massive earthquake that could have killed untold hundreds of people in his own backyard. Then Lady shows up and he tries to get some ass, but over time he learns compassion and he learns that he, him fucking around or him being petty right in this situation could lead to the world getting fucked up. So he grows up and in the last minutes... He finds regret and sadness in the loss of his brother because he doesn't know necessarily where Virgil is so much as he feels like he's lost permanent access to him. Because remember, Dante does not know how to freely leave the demon world like his brother does. And of course, he tries to hide his tears from Lady. Lady even has character development. So essentially, everyone who's been playable in Devil May Cry has had development or they've had a moment of weakness where they had to affirm or reconfirm their own psychological stability as well as show the audience that these characters are capable of being more than fun-loving assholes. Because at the bullshit end of the day, if they didn't do that, these characters' personalities would be virtually indistinguishable. Um, so, uh, Bayonetta, mm, yeah, you about to get your que- uh, cheeks clapped. <laughs> yeah I, I, I'm, I'm waiting for this one <laughs> hey look Rodan is a salesman who's in nigh immortal and has been around for thousands of years he practically never even raises his voice unless somebody is annoying him and thinks that they can actually try to fight him and he practically almost doesn't care about anything other than crafting his weapons for an unknown reason he literally is almost never seen to not be a chill motherfucker um, and he's only playable in two these are characters that have lived multiple lifetimes longer than the entire um, character roster of Devil May Cry times three or five. And they essentially are all the same fucking person. The playable characters. I'm talking about them. And as far as the story is concerned, we really want to focus on Bayonetta and randomly John from time to time. You don't play her. Well, you did play her once in one, but essentially... They know when to be serious, but any other time, they just enjoy what they're doing. Kick an angel ass. There is nothing to their character until they interact with second and third parties. But here's the problem. Even when they do that, they don't really change their personality. There's no growth with that entire roster. There's just a serious situation where they need to pay attention, and the rest of the time, they want to fuck around. The end. Yeah, I, I same. I feel you. I back that up 100%. Yeah, replayability. Okay, now this one's tough. And I'm going to give them both a point because this one is more perspective-based and player-based than actual, you know, um, unbi- uh, objective facts and whatnot. So, Devil May Cry, you just have a horde mode that goes up to 100 or 1,000 floors. 
And then you have Life the story balance. mode. That's it. Bayonetta, you have a mini game mode where you can go online, play with your friends to help boost up your score and get a lot of weapons and items and things earlier than you normally would. And you can also take anything new that you get through story mode, go back into that mode and play with it. And your friend will be there too. And you can eventually unlock and play Rosa, um, John, Rodan, and Dero Daddy Balder. So that means you got five playable characters, including Bayonetta, that you can put in a functioning online cooperative mode. Now here comes Devil May Cry. So essentially, your characters don't even really acknowledge when they are quote-unquote fighting with each other or next to each other. They just look at each other from a distance or they interact for less than the equivalent of 20 or 30 seconds on screen for a handful of fucking enemies. Oh, and if you press the start button, they're automatically replaced by an artificially intelligent AI who can't lose or die. Does that even count? Uh, that's hard to say. Oh, hell no! But like, like you said, it's going to be based on a player, who player base. Yeah, and, uh, because for the know, person who's addicted, who wants to try those higher levels, they're going to go and try those higher difficulties. For the person who wants to have fun, they may stop at like hard mode and call it a day, especially if they know they're not going to get anything other than super characters they can just buy. Like the, 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 the want and interest to go into higher difficulties dramatically decline because they made it that way. Once they made super characters purchasable, you've destroyed one of your primary reasons for people wanting to go and do those difficulties. Cause we don't get new weapons. We've established that we don't get secret weapons. We've established that what we get is either new characters or deviations on the characters, the outfit or their play style, like Devil May Cry 3, you can unlock Devil May Cry 1 Virgil with a completely different devil trigger. He'll even have his Devil May Cry 1 moves. But that's it. Also, he's very limited in that form. He's not as flexible, and he has less movement and less combos. So really, you're almost giving yourself a handicap. Right. Almost which is kind of fucked up. So, um, it's, 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 it's Bayonetta by, Bayonetta by a landslide when it comes to replayability. Okay. All right. Here are both sides. Honestly, I have, this is just, and like you said, it comes down to player. This is personally, I prefer Devil May Cry because I find Devil May Cry slightly more fun than Bayonetta uh, in terms of replayability. But, no, I get like it, but said, that's that, based on yeah, your personality. But when right. we talk about what's in the game, for players right. to do by choice, Bayonetta all day. Just because oh, you can add people, and if you ain't got people, you can team up with a fucking AI. And don't get me wrong, that mode is extremely limited. But it's not brain dead, stupid, and annoying like it is in, ironically, Devil, Devil May Cry 5, and also, to some extent, Resident Evil 6, but we're not going to get into that. But it, it just bothers me that they think this. Now, cinematography. Okay, let's yeah. just uh, go and uh, give that to Devil May Cry real quick. <laughs> Wait, whoa, we're not going to discuss it? <laughs> no, I mean, I'm, I'm keeping the points up as I go. So, oh, I know. I know. Yeah. Sure. 
And this is where I said I wanted to wait till I was recording to tell you this. So, yes. I believe it was Hideki uh, Kamiya, the other guy who actually made both series, not Itsuno, who confirmed that they initially made those little clockwork sequence uh, cutscenes to save time on development, but they ended up taking longer than if they made the cutscenes the normal way. Okay, I get it. So then, why the fuck did you bring them back in Bayonetta too? <laughs> You silly bitch. I'm just yeah, kidding. You're not a silly bitch, but you are weird, especially on Twitter. Um, <laughs> I I always hated them. Yeah, me too. I, mean, uh, I, bro, I, 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 I have I, a weird nothing. relationship with him. I will ask him questions about Devil May Cry in DM or in t- on tweets, and there will be canonical things that people just think to ask. I've even seen like gaming Brit or somebody else like link and quote my shit. I was like, yeah. Because they just didn't think to ask. And they didn't think he would know. Or that was like, no one thought this shit? And then all of a sudden, at the same time, that, that guy goes on a blocking spree using four and five little words to describe people he works with or work under and all this other crazy shit. I'm like, bro, you can't even fight in real life. You're a frail old man. What the fuck are you doing? But not going to get into that. I'm going to edge this out, like I said, to Devil May Cry. Why? Because Devil May Cry has a consistent style of cutscene. Number one. Number two, the character movement has always appeared fluid and very, very dynamic and interesting, even as far back as Devil May Cry um, 3. So they have a standard that they've been able to keep consistently. Any trouble or issues that may be seen are of the story relation nature, which we're going to get into at a later down on this. So that's why. Bayonetta, including 1 and 2, their cutscenes... They, they don't have any consistency. They're either an actual cutscene or they're that clockwork type of cutscene, which I'll probably have shown on screen in the video. And it's very, very annoying and it's very, very jarring. I don't hate them, but I would like some consistency. And there isn't any. And they're doing it on purpose. They think it's a style now. Okay, it is, but it's an annoying style. It's a dumb style. I don't have to like the style. And on your first playthrough, you know you can't skip them shits because you get something important that might happen. Right. Now, that's not to say Bayonetta's regular cutscenes are bad. Now, uh, moving on into abilities and functions. Man, that's really going to be tough right here. I think it's really hard to fix. Bayonetta. So, <laughs> yes, Dante does have a style change. Yes, Nero does have devil breakers, allowing him to get moves temporarily that he normally wouldn't have, which are glass cannon moves, and you could lose depending on when an enemy hits you in the middle of a charge attack. Still annoys the fuck out of me. And you lose de- you lose HP for that shit? Bro, that... Oh, that... I'm not going to even start. But, um... That's it. They kept it very, very the same-ish as far back as Devil May Cry 2. Uh-huh. Devil May Cry 2, which came out in 2000. I think. I'm going to Google that later. But my point is, the through line for Devil May Cry franchise is Dante, and to a lesser extent, Virgil. But playing all the games, looking at all the abilities and functions and features that they have, in a in an itemized list, not special attacks, itemized list of abilities that they have and functions they can gain, compared to Bayonetta, it's very, very easy to say that they're dead even or they're matched. Well, here's the problem, and here's where Bayonetta takes out the win. In Bayonetta, I have transformations that aren't just a super version of myself that hits harder. And they have actual usage in battle 
not just, oh, let me get over to this ledge in this jumping platforming sequence or go and get this blue orb in a mini game. There was actual reasoning behind everything they did. You can turn into a panther to get a speed boost and a broad jump boost. You can turn into a bird to dash behind and also hit and target any enemies and get in striking range in less than three seconds anywhere on screen, on the air and on the ground. And on top of it, when you're in the water, I know you hate that, and by the second game, well, you get a super fast snake form, which terrifies the shit out of me, actually. Actually, now that I think about it, I think Bayonetta is probably one of the few games I don't mind underwater levels because yeah, she has that ability. a fucking snake form. Um, right. And then you also can gain, you can also can gain the ability to get a robot mech as a super mode with a completely different move list that hits stupid hard. And I believe it can't take any damage. Don't quote me on that, though, because I don't have the super armor um, mode directly in front of me. Oh, and did I mention... Uh, different characters can have different features and functions. Bayonetta has what I just told you. John has a duplicate of it, so we can't really counter. Rosa permanently has the super mech robot thing. So that's two different right there. Rodan has the barrier function. Um, and, uh, well, the biggest reach out of everybody, minus the bow and arrow shit. And also, uh, fuck is his name? Balder, he's got the dodge functionality too, but... He can call on enemy characters to come out as a summon at the end of his attacks. Oh, yeah, and Bayonetta has that, too. Now, Devil May Cry, your shit's, again, all on that little wheel. They're adding unnecessary things. I honestly say this, and I believe this. There doesn't need to be a Trickster style. And I like Trickster. This one mode allows Dante to dash, air dash, and teleport. Teleport, It's meant for evasion, Right. Tell me why I can't just devote an entire button to evasion like with Bayonetta where you, where you can do those same functions. The problem is unnecessary technicality. And I know they probably don't think about it that much, but Dante is unnecessarily technical. And they, that's where it comes back to hurt him because on paper, they all pretty much got some of the same abilities. Like I said, really the biggest one is the Panther. The aquatic one is debatable because Bayonetta's crow form, that's basically Dante's teleport. But the problem is technicality. Everything Bayonetta needs and can get access to, there's no style switching. It's just there. Also, Dante's, a lot of his abilities and extra functions are only on Dante. Every single game. So we got one character that's got more shit than God. And then we got another character where almost everybody has the same baseline. And she just expands up from that one. That's why Bayonetta gets the point now putting her at three. As a franchise, (laughs) not the character. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. Because when Dante gets a new function, it's usually related to combat. Being able to shoot in multiple directions, okay. They haven't put that in Bayonetta unless it's a homing weapon, but they could easily do it. They even have some combos where if you hold the button down, it'll end with her shooting in different directions. That's much more cinematic. Yeah, it's much more ro- cinematic in Bayonetta. Yeah, uh, if you say so. Royal Guard mode. That's a fucking like- block button. Bro, Bayonetta has an accessory that damn near you can get as default on the Wii U version if you got if you got the right amiibo, which is kind of dumb. Where she gains the block button and all, and it's even easier to use. It's scary to use, but it's a little bit easier to use than the Devil May Cry 4 version, right? Now, what else does that leave? Swordmaster. Oh, so you're just gonna take some of her combos and special moves and map them behind a style. Then we got the ones that, you know, are ephemeral. Quicksilver, slow down time. 
Bayonetta's had that since day one. Technically, D Dante had it in Devil May Cry 1. It was just extremely hard to get. Like, really hard to get. But they immediately dropped it. Devil May Cry 4, Dark Slayer. Oh, he can do three of Virgil's moves. Only three. And two of them don't even do that much damage. Ooh. Now, is there an exclusive style in Devil May Cry 5? No. He just gets a higher level of his double trigger. But as you can see, all those things, Bayonetta already has mapped to her natural combat and playstyle. They decluttered and simplified the exact same abilities, but it's still difficult for no reason. Bayonetta gets that one. Man, this shit was kind of... Bayonetta. So, <laughs> Devil May Cry, I'm going to tell you what the 90% of the story is in all the games. The exact synopsis, not what happens to the characters and character development, the actual writing of the synopsis. Dante finds out about a threat. Dante pursues the threat, usually of a demonic nature, and it indirectly or directly has some loose tie to his family lineage. He takes out the threat, and then he leaves. Devil May Cry 1, Trish shows up, finds out about a threat related to his family. He goes and kills that threat. The end. Devil May Cry 2, technically, technically different. Devil May Cry 2, hey, we need to tell you about this crazy bastard who's going around trying to fuck over the entire world because he basically wants to bring the demonic world here and become a super powerful demon. And you're like the greatest devil hunter ever. Yeah, I need to go look into that. Let me go clap those cheeks. It's essentially the same thing. Devil May Cry 3, the prequel. Hey, guess what? Your brother's back. He wants to talk to you, secretly not knowing that his brother wants to go and get more power and he wants to get all of the shit his dad had. So he basically can, we don't actually know. They never said what he would do when he got all of that fucking power. They didn't say he would take over the world. He's never said he was going to take over the world. It's not even clear what the fuck Virgil was going to do if he got all that power. Was he going to beat the fuck out of Mundus? Okay, but then what next? Dante just wanted to kick his brother's ass. Then he realized, hey, we fucking up too hard. The world need to be saved. Devil May Cry 4. Oh, shit, that's my brother's kid. Or at least he's probably my cousin. You know, for no logical reason, I'm not going to tell this kid that. For no logical reason, he's not going to tell no, this kid yeah. that. Yeah. Oh, and this one guy who I know is the head of demons and shit. Oh, yeah, I found out he fucked up and he's really messed up. Well, hmm, you know what? Let me go take him out. Yeah, let's take him out in a room full of people that could easily recognize you and identify you. And there's a police report not filled out. Bro, there's too many fucking random plot holes or shit that doesn't make sense for the fake for the sake of how it looks on screen. That's one of the first ones. Then you go and hunt this guy down and he's toying with you the whole time. He's not really fighting you. There's no reason why he couldn't tell him anything about his, his lineage. So now we move on to like towards the end of the game. You know what's going on. Trish fucked up without even explaining it to literally the end of the game. And most people didn't even catch it till like the second or third time they watched it after I told them. They had no way of actually completing what they wanted to do. Dante initially blows them off when Lady comes in complaining about them. Then Trish escalates things, stole Sparta's sword, gave them Sparta's sword, and literally caused almost every bad thing that happens in Devil May Cry 4. And at the end of it, when they she see, hey, this is all the money we get? Motherfucker, that's a thick-ass roll of hundred. Shut the hell up. What are you buying? You're an immortal demon. What are you spending that money on? Then I thought about it. This is Trish. Probably fashion. And he says, don't you think we should get more? And then lady's like, you know, you caused all this shit, right? Well, I didn't really cause all this shit. No, motherfucker. You caused all of this to happen. And then they look at Dante because they want a difference of opinion. 
Dante puts himself out of the situation. Hey, there's a new gig coming. Okay, the end. Devil May Cry 5. My brother's back. I need to kill him before he does something that shatters and fucks up the world. Well, my brother kicked my ass. Damn, I need to figure out a way to kick his ass. What is Nero doing? Oh, I want revenge because this motherfucker stole my arm like two years earlier or a year earlier. It's not, I think, I think it was two years earlier. I'm not really too sure. And somehow only in the manga, it's explained Nero gets there at the exact same time, like five or 10 minutes after Dante does, which makes no sense. And they try to make it make sense in the manga. Um, Enzo had a helicopter, which how the fuck did he even get that? And he just flew Nero over. Also, why was Dante scared to tell Nero about his lineage or that, hey, I'm your actual uncle? There was no point in time where it was logical for him to hide this fact from him. He lives in a completely different country on a fucking island. Why is this a hidden fact? Also, if Nero regenerated his arm, is he still a half? Is he still a quarter of a demon? Is he a half demon? Or is this just something that is genetically woven into his DNA to be able to trigger and activate because it doesn't make sense? They get their devil trigger in response to a, a fatal situation, usually being impaled or their life about to end, right? When that first happens right. with Nero, he gets Devil Breaker. But this time, that didn't happen. He just decides he wants to stop Dante and Virgil from killing themselves, killing each other, or one or the other, and he just gets it. How did he trigger Devil Trigger? Also, my favorite final thing... um. Why are they trying to imply that Dante and Virgil are somehow stuck in hell when Virgil literally has a sword that can cut through dimensions and put them in fucking earth, which is why half the reason all the shit that happens in this damn game happens. They have the get out of jail. I'm sorry, the get out of hell free card. But for some very, very, very painfully stupid reason, they keep trying to imply that they're stuck there or they're going to stay there. Where are they going to get food from? They don't have plants and trees and shit down there. Also, Trish probably knows some way to get in and out of hell without the use of, you know, cunning a dimension. Remember, she is a demon who is from hell who's wearing a disguise that makes her look like their parents. She right. went from Malay Island to where Dante was. So obviously, there's some way to get out. There have been other demons that have got out. That's why their profession exists. But you see now why my, where my problem is with this shit. And also, how the fuck does Dante not look at V and immediately think, hey, why the hell do you look like me when I was a teenager? If you knew the minute you saw Nero, he was somehow biologically related to you. How the fuck did you see V, who theoretically should look like you in Double May Cry 3? I don't know why he didn't. And not know, huh, it's a little bit weird that you look like me. The manga tries to explain things, but sometimes it asks more questions. But the fact that a manga has to explain basic shit that happens or why a character is the way they are in a video game means that inherently you've already failed with basic explanations. They could have literally put this in the gallery or in Enzo's notes, which two of them have a typo, by the way. They could have put this in Enzo's notes. They chose not to. Bayonetta, there's an exact explanation for everything or there's a mystery behind something that they specifically tell you right there in the gallery you just have to meet the enemy to get the explanation of it. That's it. Now, when it comes to the characters and the story, it's a pretty straightforward line. Then you get into the game and you realize, oh, you have been hunted and sought after for hundreds of years by Balder, corrupted by a guy named Aesir, who you don't even meet till the second game, which is technically both a prequel and a sequel, which is why people are so confused about the timeline with Bayonetta. And because of those events, 
you eventually find out that this guy made a whole entire island city devoted to doing his bidding or whatever he wanted and taught people how to kill themselves and convert their souls into that of angels. Then you get to Bayonetta 2. Essentially, everyone's getting ready to have a Christmas party. And Rodon decided to bring you some actual guns that you own because I think he said the ones in Bayonetta 1 were loners or rentals. And guess what? A new adventure starts because your best friend, possibly the person who knows you the best in the world, is about to potentially die. The only true plot hole and issue with that story is how did her getting slapped by a demon tail knock her entire soul out of her fucking body when not even five seconds ago they were suplexing and throwing around an enemy that weighed more or the same weight. Also, there is no energy projectile or energy removal and soul removal abilities from a demon's physical tail slapping you. That's it. Everything else, there's a through line. You understand it. You know that Loki has amnesia and, he, and he's been running through time escaping, essentially, Lopter and Aesir. Well, not, uh, uh, yeah, Lopter and Aesir. Because if they get control of the world, they're going to fuck up the natural balance of things. But the natural balance was already off, possibly due to story events relating to Bayonetta 1, but they just got worse until when you get to Bayonetta 2. John vaguely speaks on this, but here's the thing that they don't show us, how they're off and how they're unbalanced. But that's okay. You know why? Because that's what you call a precursor. That's just the synopsis. That's just the motivator, or that's just what's going to be used as a motivator throughout the story points. So now you're battling with a manipulated version of your father brought back from the past before he gets possessed. And also you're trying to save this kid who you realize throughout the story becomes more and more important while fending off you know, angels and demons and all this other shit. Their story makes sense from beginning to end. Yes, 2 does get a little bit perplexing and confusing. But remember, Bayonetta's story, or at least the first three games, yes, I'm including three, there's time travel. But that's it. Now, number right. eight, and this is where they win. Bayonetta inches it out. Artistic aesthetic. Look, and this time I will include the DMC that shall not be named. Okay? <laughs> I know this is about an entire franchise, but I purposely was avoiding talking about it. Yes, I do have a personal dislike of it. Oh, and yeah, I actually played that shit. But primarily because it has less features and abilities than the fucking rest of the franchise does once you get to three and go forward. Yeah, absolutely. And if memory serves, there's no style switching in uh, DMC Zero, right? Nope. Yeah. None. You had to hold down a button to hold to pull out one angel weapon and pull hold down another button to pull out a demon weapon. Yeah, this, sh this shit was dumb. But also, I understand why they did that. And they should have kept that one thing that way with the regular Dante. Because that's how Bayonetta is. Have your evasive abilities already mapped. Your gun abilities already mapped. If you're going to do style switch, make it something actually fun. Like, oh, you do completely different combo system. You know? But no. So, artistic aesthetic. With the exception of Devil May Cry Zero which artistically has the most deviation, but also some people hate it because all it meant was, oh, use a grappling hook to go over a long stretch of missing land. Devil May Cry's aesthetic has been either gothic themed or rather a mid-century early Britain Empire style aesthetic that could be found in like Victorian or Elizabethan era of time or a destroyed and demolished piece of modernity like a city or a road that's it that's their aesthetics is it broke okay we're gonna put it in the game 
is something getting ready to break or looks dilapidated or like a bomb exploded here? Okay, let's put that in the game. Tell me I'm wrong. In the can't. opening of Devil May Cry I, I, 1, you're on an island castle town, ironically, which is kind of where Devil uh, Nero was born, but it's not very modern. Devil May Cry 2, you're going around the world, but it's completely empty and void of anything, but everything has that you know mid-century era look to it. And occasionally you go into underground caves or demonic type caves. Devil May Cry 3, exactly what I said. It's a messed up post-apocalyptic looking area, even though everything's been fucked up for like less than two days. Devil May Cry 4. Oh, now you're on that island castle town again, but it looks post-apocalyptic like a bomb exploded here and shit is destroyed that normally wouldn't be destroyed courtesy of demons and shit like that. Devil May Cry fucking five. Oh, it's a modern area that's got a giant plant going through that looked like a bomb exploded and things are looking post-apocalyptic and, you know, civilization looks like it's being murdered as you go through shit. But there's no reason for them to keep it that way. They get creative when they go into the demon world. A little bit. A little bit. But it's still the same thing. Let's have something obsessed with blood and red and tentacles. Or have something look like, you know, you're being eaten and chewed on like when you were in Devil May Cry 1 Hell. No matter what happens, they're not evolving their aesthetic. And they've had fucking over 15 years to do so. Like I mentioned, Bayonetta still wins out. Bayonetta 1. You're basically in a castle town. Boy, they sure do love their castle towns. And it's got a little bit modern themed era and it's near a shoreline. Again, comes up a lot in these games. But over time, what happens? You end up on a damn boat. You end up um, fighting things in the water. You end up fighting on top of a plane, someone who's riding on a motorcycle of all things. It starts small, but it escalates tremendously. Bayonetta 2, you're basically in um, Italy. They even went to Italy to get their design aesthetic theme. Ironically, a castle shore-like area near Italy. But what happens immediately after that? You go underwater, you fight underwater. You come above the water. You still fight this castle town. You're going up a fucking mountain. You go, the, the bridge to get to this mountain breaks. You're back in the water again, and while you're falling down this giant tower, you're having a giant fucking boss fight. Then there's another boss that you fight while you're literally in a whirlpool and typhoon that the fucking boss is creating. And then let's not forget Bandit of One, you went to fucking space. <laughs> by driving up a, a motorcycle up a rocket. And now this new game, we got time and interdimensional travel when it comes out. And uh, now mind you, I can't count Bayonetta 3, so I can only count 1 and 2. Bro, they never find a way to try to find some unique setting or play aesthetic or some unique setting, artistic design, or combat aesthetic, and they throw it in. They never find a way. Your character can occasionally stick to walls, which is weird, to go and try to scale up something, and now you're fighting with a different type of verticality. The, bro, they're always trying to find something, even if they go back in time from occasion and make it look like, you know, how the old games look. They're never not. You're fighting on a highway on top of trucks and 18-wheelers, and if you touch the ground, you know, you're actually being left behind by these cars and shit. Bro, they're trying. You can ride the motorcycle instead of it just being in the cutscene like a devil may cry. Mind you, I fucking hate that section. But there's artistic, there's artistic effort being put into how the aesthetic looks as well as the style and the stages. Devil may cry. It's the same thing. A broken, fucked up area. Demon's going to come at you. The end. Or a broken, fucked up area because you're in hell. Demons come at you. The end. Tell me I'm wrong. 
Yeah, I'm still here. I'm just I'm just trying to process everything I just yeah, heard. Because I know it didn't hit you until I fucking told you, didn't it? Oh no, no. I've definitely I've definitely noticed like Devil May Cry uh definitely has the whole uh what I would call it the Gears of War style type of artistic <laughs> style where everything <laughs> is just Everything is Damn. just dilap- dilap- dilapidated, you know. Oh yeah, there's something went down here. But the, in the course of Gears of War, it makes sense, you know. Uh, a war has been raging for years. Devil May Cry Five. This shit just started like what five minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, the last time they got creative was the first time they got creative. Devil May Cry Three. You go and fight a chessboard. You go into an MC Escher themed staging area. Mind you, you don't fight anybody in there, which would have been really fucking cool. And that was it. The closest yeah. they got after that was Devil May Cry Zero. Now, and, and, and in their defense, they decided to take warping dimensional shit and incorporate into their stage design. But right. all that really led to was platforming. Yeah. So I, I, I remember, what was that? The one mission that pissed me off the most was the nightclub mission. Uh, yeah, basically, you're right. You use it just for the sake of traversal, just for the sake of opening up the level. You're right. Yeah, it doesn't really help in Devil May Cry's case. One, it didn't continue on in the franchise. Two, it didn't actually serve a unique and creative purpose that allowed for more gameplay. It just added to, you know, traversal unnecessarily, and it didn't even look cool or remotely interesting. The areas did, but once you got there, you couldn't do shit but literally fight a enemies on the platform go to the next platform Devil May Cry 3 you got the elevator section where you got to make sure not enough enemies are on the screen on the elevator otherwise you can't My literally God. progress through the stage that shit was uh. annoying but it was creative you got the gear room <laughs> literally the gear room which rotates a giant tower um like I said the MC Escher boss fight room not really all that creative the mirror rooms are actually pretty cool but they're only in like but these are things that are only in the game for 10 minutes and you don't have to fuck with them ever again but that's why, minus the, you know, rotating tower part. But that's why I say, at least with Bayonetta, it's more consistent. Once they do something, if they like it, it shows up in future titles. Or you see it more throughout that game. And I like that. Right. That's yeah. creativity. That's showing me you saw your aesthetic and you wanted to evolve from it. It's artistic, even. So, yeah. Um, with that uh, unbiased look at Devil May Cry as a franchise... Bayonetta as a franchise. Let me be clear. We did not include um, aesthetics found in books. We only went by the writing found in books. Or just the writing that they tell you in the game. We went by the combat styles of both the games. They both have their own well formats. But for the sake of brevity and still having complex depth, Bayonetta wins by a landslide. When it comes to replayability... Everyone has their difference on how they view replayability. But Bayonetta at least encourages it with a functioning on and offline cooperative mode. Cinematography, Bayonetta had no way of even fucking with it because of those bullshit clockwork cutscenes that annoy the hell out of me. But that doesn't mean that they don't have good sequences and well thought out and crafted um, cinematography from time to time. But it's an inconsistent, annoying style versus a consistent style. They win by default because DMC was consistent. Abilities and functions, oh man, do they have a plethora. But again, all roads lead to Dante, which isn't a bad thing, but the problem is they don't get simplified over time. What they decided to do was say, hey, let's give him more shit to do. 
But every time they add a layer of technicality, they don't, you know, make an ease of access with it. They don't make it so there's something that can happen that makes it not annoying. You have to essentially get the super versions of the characters to get them at their most easiest to control with the most access to their abilities and functions. Also, depending on the game, Dante, without explanation, loses functions. And he's got the most. However, right, the we factored in Virgil, Lady, Trish as well. They all function differently, which is a good thing for creativity and replayability. But when it comes to ease of use, there was always some basic element missing. Like I said, for Lady and Trish, they don't have any evas a proper evasive abilities. They don't. They have the old school jump or roll dodge. That's it. Writing. Well, uh, Devil May Cry essentially writes the same story over with small, small alterations, as we noted. However, the big problem becomes when characters, they don't so much act out of character. They do things that don't make no sense with no explanation. As we mentioned. Artistic aesthetic. Bayonetta is trying to innovate. Bayonetta is trying to have unique settings for you to fight in. Devil May Cry. You go to an area, you jump off something, you go to a different platform or a different part of the area, you're locked into fighting a mob until you get to a boss. Oh, there's small puzzle elements depending on what stage you're on. They're not even consistent throughout the whole game after Devil May Cry 1 and Devil May Cry 3. Or after Devil May Cry 3, essentially. But no one ever stopped and said, the puzzles are the reason I come to play Devil May Cry. However, right. because of their lack of trying and really just creating the same settings over and over again, but with different levels. Oh, you're underground from some giant earthquake where shit came out of the ground. Oh, you're at the level of the ground where it came. Oh, you're in a giant tower that is created. Oh, you got to get to the bottom of the tower. Bro, like this is you're recycling so much shit. It's not even funny. There's a genuine lack of effort being shown. But to be fair. It's not really ever been held against them, so. That means that they're really not trying to think up new shit because they didn't say, well, no one's going to be mad if we do this. Let's try to get creative. Whereas Bayonetta, they do it throughout the, the course of both games. I didn't really like the Star Fox shooting segment in Bayonetta 2, but I appreciated it because it's different. Right. And it was way easier than the bullshit they one day did in Bayonetta 1. Also, the weapon designs are fucking beautiful. They're more interesting to look at than anything in Devil May Cry has ever offered with the exception of the motorcycle weapon. Okay, okay, I, I, was, I was about to say. I was yeah, like, with the exception of the on. motorcycle weapon and <laughs> the guitar. Yeah, so now that you've heard everything I had to say, Dante, uh, let me ask you in your opinion. Um, do you feel like I was being biased at any point in time? Uh, no. I honestly feel like you hit on there's some very strong points that are... Uh, Definitely the strong suits and the weak suits, you know, strong points and the weak points of both series, you know. Uh, and yeah, I definitely feel like you were fair, you know. Devil May Cry definitely has some, the weak spots, has a lot of weak spots, but the so does Bayonetta, which you, like I said, you hit on both. So I feel like this is a very fair, uh, yeah. fair discussion between, yeah. yeah, the discussion or the comparison between the two series. Yeah, so to summarize for the people who are probably going to skip to the end of this video on the time code index, um, <laughs> Devil May Cry loses because it has wildly generic and often recycled writing, but also um, wildly inconsistent character traits that come out of nowhere with no explanation, and we're just supposed to accept it. Uh, and also, most of the characters on some level are 
basically the same person with very little deviations up until fairly recently, or we don't even get to learn what their deviations are because there's no consistency with even seeing them. Yes, I'm talking about my baby Trish. They don't even get the same damn voice actor every game. <laughs> yeah, I'm not even joking. Go look it up. She's been a, like a different person every fucking game. Um, and even though it has great combat depth and replayability, most of their replayability is supposed to be from having the players engage in higher difficulties in which they may not even have an interest in and they rarely ever get a true genuine reward that alters how they play the game or their interest in playing the game until they beat the fifth highest difficulty, which is a time commitment that, again, uh, easygoing person might not want to get into because they don't find enjoyment in high technicality things in a video game. They may come for the flash entirely by itself. And Bayonetta wins despite having the flaws relating to their cinematography being wildly inconsistent to the point of being annoying. Um, their writing is better, but admittedly because of time travel, there will be some people that immediately get lost and it's not their fault. They win because their combat style is consistent with all playable characters, their basic evasive and functional and extra abilities and features are consistent and don't involve a style switch, despite in future titles, let me be clear, some of them, depending on the game, being related to just a simple button switch. Or in the case of Devil May Cry Switch Edition, you have to memorize on a clock wheel where the weapon or the weapon you want to bring out is, and what style you have, and on the opposite clock wheel where your gun is, which is more technical, even though they're giving you all access to everything like Bayonetta does, minus, you know, um, the weapon switch going into the menu, instead of it all being laid out in front of you on a plate, like Bayonetta. When it comes to multiplayericity, is that a word? A wild Raccoon X has appeared. Good evening, total strangers. Say, Raccoon, although you have never reaped the tears of the victim's cries, God damn! Wouldn't you agree that multiplayer on and offline can easily increase player retention? Intrinsically so. Is that a word? Although, Bayonetta 2 is a bit long in the teeth, seeing as it debuted in 2013. The fact that its enjoyment can be shared even if it's through a minigame can lead to hours of good memories. And uh, who doesn't want to clap cheeks when they're with their friends? They also have similar abilities and functions, but again, on top of the combat style, the abilities and functions lean in Bayonetta's favor. The writing heavily leans in Bayonetta's favor, even though, much like with Devil May Cry, their stories essentially tell the same thing over and over, simply because there's more going on, there's more characters being involved in the cutscenes, and oh, the writing, and also the creativity sticks out a lot more in regards to Bayonetta. In the case of artistic aesthetic, Bayonetta also wins because there's more types of places you can go. The, it's more interesting to look at, more colorful, especially in Bayonetta 2. Not so much one, but also settings in which your character is fighting in are more varied and diverse. They're not just run over to this platform, here's a barrier stopping you from progressing until you beat up these enemies. Um, Alright, Dante, you want to let the people know where they can find you again? Yes, uh, I like I said, I am on Twitch, I'm on Twitter, occasionally have a, I'll post a YouTube uh, video, and uh, yeah, uh, in order to find me on Twitch, just type in Dante Must Die, or uh, hyphens, or not hyphens, what do you call underscore? it? Underscore? Yeah, underscore, sorry. You have to specifically underscore. tell them how to type it, bro. Dante underscore must underscore die. And Dante uh, spelled with an O, not an A. Yes, thank you. Uh, Dante is spelled with an O instead of an A, like some asshole I know. <laughs> <laughs> hey, 
So we're going to play offline co-op or online co-op for Bayonetta 3, right? Right? 